Okay, okay, good morning. Uh, my name is Grant. If you are newer here, if we haven't met before, um, and if you haven't thought about this, this is December the 1st, 2019, which means we are one month away from a new year, which is a really, really big deal. And I just want to give you a bit of a warning up front. 2020 is going to be a year of really bad church and business marketing and advertising ideas. And if you've done this already in your company, I just want to say that's lame, it's cliche, don't do it. Because the idea that could come through is 2020, 2020 vision, the year of clarity, the year of seeing ahead, seeing the future. So if you've seen that and thought this is something that we should do, or you think maybe this is God speaking to you, this might be a prophetic word for you for 2020, I want to say you're wrong. Just politely, it's low-hanging fruit, it's cliche, it's lame, don't do it, don't believe it, don't go to your boss and say, I've got the right idea, this is what we should do. It's not a good idea, but I know it is going to come up anyway. And before we know it, we're going to be in a new year, but more than just that, we're going to be in a new decade too. For some of you, this is blowing your minds now. Another 10 years has come and gone already. And I literally remember the 31st of December, 1999. I think most of you were born then. Maybe some of you weren't. But I was 12 years old. I remember being at the Abathnot's New Millennium Party. Y2K was a real thing. People were worried about that. I was there with some of my best mates. And I had half a glass of champagne, which was sanctioned by my parents. So I felt very, very cool as a 12-year-old at the time. And I blinked, and it became the year 2000, and 20 years just went past like that. It's absolutely crazy. Time goes so, so fast. And I heard this quote a while ago that says, we overestimate what can happen in a year, but we underestimate what can happen in 10 years. I think that's true. I think a lot of us set really big goals for a year, but we don't really think about the compound effect and interest of what 10 years can do in our lives or businesses or families or churches. And I recently stood in a really long queue. I knew I was going to be there for over an hour. So I thought, okay, how can I kind of redeem this time? How can I use this wisely? So I got out my phone and I opened up like a little notes app. And I just put something at the top that said the last 10 years, 2010 to 2019. And I started to write down everything that I could remember that had happened in the last decade. And it's a lot of stuff. I I really challenge you to maybe do this as an exercise if you've got some time. All of the things that have happened in the last 10 years. And there was good and bad. There were ups and downs. There were some hard things. There were some beautiful things to celebrate. But it's been a really big decade for me. I was thinking about it, if I can just share maybe personally a little bit. I met Michelle in 2010, uh, we got married in 2012, and we started this church with a bunch of you in 2013, and now it's 2019, my wife is six months pregnant, we're starting the new year, the new decade with a baby on the way, and all of those are massive life-changing things, you know? Probably for me, this will be the, the most significant year of change and adjustment and new things, or the, the biggest decade of my life. I'm sure my 40s and 50s and 60s will contain big things, but probably not as much change and newness and learning and adjustment and repenting and having to ask for questions and ask for help. This has been a really, really big decade for me. And I want to ask you, what does your decade look like? How have the last 10 years been for you? Good, bad, maybe a bit of a mixed bag. Maybe some of you have got some big regrets or some big celebrations. Whatever it is, 10 years is a lot of time, and a lot of stuff happens in that period. And as we go into this new decade, that can be exciting, woo, like clean slate, new decade, new opportunities, but it can also be a little bit intimidating. I think particularly with the craziness going on in our world at the moment, uh, economically, politically, ecologically, culturally, socially, it can be a bit intimidating going into a new decade and thinking, what do the 10 years ahead of us hold for me? 
What do they hold for South Africa, for Africa, for the world? What is coming at us in the next decade? And I think for each of us as Christians, one of the things we want to do is we want to seek God. We want to know his will. We want to know what he's saying. We want his wisdom for the years that we live, the decades we live, the days that we live, that actually we would walk out his path. Now listen, I just want to say there is no magic in a new year or in a new decade. January 1st doesn't magically wipe some slate clean or forgive us of our misdeeds or sins or past or anything like that. Only Jesus can do that, but, but he can do that for you. So there's no magic in a new year or a new decade, but there is an opportunity every single day for us to change. I thought of this recently, or I read this recently, that the reality is we often put stuff off to the future. Like, I'll deal with that thing down the line, but we have absolutely no control over the future. We can't make any decisions in the future or any changes. We've got no control over what we're going to do out there. The only thing we've got control over is in the moment. And I remember being in this uh, conversation with a guy once, and he was struggling with some things, and we were talking it through, and he said to me, that is future Grant's problem. You know, I'll, I'll leave that for him to deal with down the line. And I think sometimes we do that. You know, We think, okay, I'll deal with that in the future. I'm just going to live my life now. And there's this compound interest of things building towards the person we're going to be that we're really not going to enjoy dealing with down the line. Really, we can't make future uh, decisions in the future. We can make decisions now, but the decisions we make now will affect future us and where we end up and the things that come. So as we enter a new year, as we enter a new decade, what are the things we want to do now to set us up for a good year? What are the things we want to set us up now for a good decade, a good future, the years ahead of us? So if you've got a Bible here, can I ask you to open up to Proverbs chapter 3, and today, this is a horrible title, it was a working title and it just kind of stuck eventually, but we're going to talk about how to have a good decade, how to have a good decade. So this is Proverbs chapter 3, if you don't have a Bible, it'll come up on the screens, but really Proverbs is about wisdom for all of life. So if you are looking for some wisdom, if you're looking for some guidance or some understanding, Proverbs would be a really great book for you to read through and pray through in December. just want to say it's not like a quick read kind of thing. 31 chapters, if you plowed through it this afternoon, you're not going to get the best out of it. This is the kind of book you want to slowly, prayerfully meditate on, chew on, think through, and really absorb the nuggets of God's wisdom. And really today as I speak, I'm not going to be able to give you some kind of quick, easy life hack for how you can have a good year or a really good decade ahead, but maybe some practices or wise decisions that we can put into place for our lives to actually start to live the kind of life that is blessed by God and that we would consider good into 2020 and beyond. You ready? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let you keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be wary of his reproof or correction. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. Now that's a lot of content. 
there's kind of six ways to live in those 12 verses, and then six reasons to live that way, or six kind of promises tied into that way of living. So the six ways to live, six ways to start out and live a good decade are these. Immerse yourself in Scripture. Actually make sure that you memorize the words of God and that you obey them from your heart outward. Secondly, love your neighbor or be loving and loyal and kind towards other people. Thirdly, trust God. We're going to get into that a little bit more down the line. Fourthly, fear the Lord and turn from evil. Now, I do just want to say there, sometimes we hear fear, fear the Lord, fear God, and we think be scared of God. And maybe some of us have grown up in that kind of church environment or home environment. I think probably there should be a little asterisk there because the fear of the Lord is really an awe-filled, bold humility. We see God and we're blown away. He's so powerful. He's so beautiful. He's so amazing. So we're in awe of him and we're humbled by his size and his power. He is so much greater than us. His ways are so much greater than our ways. But at the same time, as we see him, we're filled with boldness. Because we see him and we think, that God loves me. That God chose me. That God is my father. That God wants a relationship for me. And that God died for me on the cross. It's an awful, bold humility as we approach God. But at the same time, we're turning from evil and leaving those things behind. The next thing is a generosity. This is a financial component. Obviously, God wants our whole lives, but... Generally, the last thing we want to give God are our finances, our, our wallet, our money. So it says, be generous to God with your finances, and you'll live a good life. And the final thing is about sonship, or being God's child, or being God's daughter. Those are the six ways that we are called to live in for a good decade or a good year ahead. And he gives us the reasons why we should choose these ways. Firstly, he says, if you immerse yourself in Scripture, you will find inner peace, and you will live a long life. I think that's something probably most of us in this room desire, you know. The second thing is if you love your neighbor, if you're loyal and kind, you will find favor and success before God and man. The third, if you trust God, your path will be made straight or God will lead you in the ways you should go and in the decisions you should make. Fourthly, fearing the Lord and turning from evil will lead to healing for your flesh and refreshment of your bones. Don't know if any of you have chosen sin in some instance and then felt so drained and empty and tired. It doesn't live up to the promises that it promised up front, you know? And you feel weary in your soul, in your body. You feel tired and drained and depleted by it. The promise is, as we fear the Lord and turn from those things, that actually we will be energized and refreshed. If you want a blessed life, it says be generous with your finances towards God. I feel like that's a counterintuitive thing. Often we think surely we should save more and invest more and be very wise stewards. And here this passage is saying, be generous with your time, your, your money, your energy, your talents, and you will live a more blessed life. Or your barns will be filled and your wine vats will be overflowing. And finally, live as a son or daughter and you will know God's love and delight. I think if you look at those six ways of living and those six promises, probably most of us in those rooms desire those things. We want those outcomes, but we don't always choose those ways. But before we get into this passage a little bit more, I think one of the things I need to highlight here, this is a big disclaimer, is that in the book of Proverbs, we don't find promises, we find principles. We don't find promises, we find principles. And this is a really key thing to understand, because otherwise we get confused. We look at this and we think, a long life, but Jesus didn't live a long life. He died at about 33. 
That doesn't really make sense to me. Because kind of Jesus goes against a whole bunch of these promises we've just seen here. You know, Jesus was the perfect man. He, he lived the ways of God perfectly. He would have obeyed and lived out and fleshed out and set us an example of Proverbs 3 better than anyone ever. But he died young. He, he might have known inner peace, but he didn't know outer peace. You know, Jesus was rejected by man. He was persecuted. He was suffered. You know, we're talking about refreshing for your bones and your body. Jesus was crucified and killed. We look at some of the promises of Proverbs 3, and we think to ourselves, I've caught you out. This is a contradiction. The Bible contradicts itself. It's not true. If you look at it as promises, of course we're going to see it that way. You know, if you leave here today, and you say, if I obey Proverbs 3, verse 1 and 2, if I just remember the scriptures, and I obey them from my heart, then I'm bulletproof. Proverbs 3, verse 1 and 2, I'm safe. Take your best shot. Take a go at me. I'm living a long life. You can do whatever you want. I'm safe until the end of my days. Obviously, this isn't a promise. It's a principle. The reality is what it's saying here is the ways of Scripture, the ways of God, lead to inner peace and the kind of life that is long and flourishing and healthy and the kind of good life that we desire. Well, if you look at verse 3 and 4, where it talks about living a life of loyalty and kindness, of, of loving our neighbor well like Jesus would have done, the reality is you could be the most loving, kind, loyal, thoughtful person in the world, and there could be someone at work that no matter what you do, they make your life difficult, and they just don't like you, they hate you, they persecute you, they make things tough for you, and you think, what is going on with this verse, this promise? Because the reality is this is a principle, not a promise. If you are a loving, kind, loyal type of person rather than a selfish, self-seeking, mean, crooked person, you are going to find success and favor before God and man much more than if you live any other kind of way. So each of these are principles, not promises, to look through. But they show us how to live a good life, how to live a wise life, and how to prepare ourselves for a good decade ahead. But verse 5 to 6 are the key verses in this proverb. Or maybe one of the key verses in the scriptures. I'm sure some of you would have memorized this, seen this on a fridge, seen this on like a, I don't know, bookmark somewhere. This is a very well-known passage, and it says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. This is really well-known, but I think sometimes it can be a little bit complicated. Like, what does it mean to acknowledge God? What does it mean? I, I mean, acknowledge has got knowledge in it, and it's got the word know in it. What does it mean that we acknowledge him? So I think in our culture, we kind of acknowledge people maybe at an awards ceremony. I was watching some Emmy award speeches last night before I went to bed. And you know those moments where someone gets up there, they accept their award, they're crying, they're really happy about what's going on. They're trying to remember the list of names of people they want to thank. They're saying, thanks so much, Delise, Chris, thank you for your help and your support to my parents, my friends, the director, whoever it is. They're trying to acknowledge all of the people who have added to their success. Is that what it means to acknowledge God? What about sports people? Now, I don't really know much about sports, but I've seen those things on the field where someone scores a try or a touchdown or kicks the ball into the goal or something, kiss their fingers and aim to the heavens, you know, thanking God. Or just like a little prayer moment. Or you might have seen some of those NFL guys in the U.S. They've got like white tape or cream on their face, whatever that's for. They've got like John 3.16 kind of written here. So everyone knows, you know, they love Jesus, they follow Jesus, that kind of thing. Is that the acknowledging God that we are meant to do? Going to work tomorrow with screen on your face, John 3.16, or I don't know, you print something or send out a good email, just 
It's all to your glory, Lord. That's what I'm living for. What does this mean? And what does it mean that God will make your paths straight? I think sometimes we can read these verses and we can read them, but not really process them or pray through them or meditate on them so we don't let them go deep into our hearts and bring change. I um, probably became a Christian when I was 12. And for six years of my life, I read the King James Version of the Bible because I didn't know there was another option. You know, I didn't know there were Bibles. I just thought there was a Bible. So if you don't know anything about the King James, it was published in 1611. It was a significant uh, change in the distribution of the Scriptures. The printing press enabled the Bible to be printed. And this was obviously written for an audience of their day, which means it was like Shakespearean English. And you can go and you can read it. You can get it for free online. Wonderful, faithful to the original Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic texts. It's just old school English, and it's hard to understand. So when I became 18... I was given a new Bible. It was the CEV, the Contemporary English Version, which had been published in 1995. Modern English, contemporary language, simplified for people like me. And I read this, and honestly, it was like the Bible came alive. You know, I'd been reading Shakespeare for six years, not getting much out of it, and now it was like, this makes sense. This is relevant and real for me. This is practical. I understand it. So I want to give you an example of the kind of experience I had. This is Romans 13, verse 13 in the King James. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy. So I'd read that, and I'd go, okay, this is the word of the Lord, and I'd move on. And I had no idea what was going on. You know, Obviously, I knew what drunkenness was. I think I'd been around church long enough to know that was something a Christian shouldn't be involved in. I'd never really been interested in rioting, although Ayanda was for a while. He was really into being part of riots, but he can tell you those stories himself. So this wasn't really relevant for me. And I had no idea what chambering, wantonness, or strife were. So what I'd do is I'd kind of glaze over. I'd zone out. I'd be reading the Bible, but it wasn't making sense to me. So I'd just zone out and kind of power through my chapter, have ticked my box, and kind of move on with my day. And what happened is I started to read a new translation called the CEV, which translated this verse this way. It said, so behave properly as people do in the day. Don't go to wild parties or get drunk or be vulgar or indecent. Don't quarrel or be jealous. And this made sense to me. The lights went on. You know, this was practical. It was relevant. I understood what it was saying. And as a new Christian who like, had been walking with Jesus for a little bit of time, I read that and I went, it makes sense that I don't go to wild parties. You know, that is what my friends are up to. That's where I've been. It's not a great place for me. I've been tempted there in the past. I'm going to fall back into some of those old ways. Probably to honor and follow Jesus, I shouldn't be doing that. Still not sure what wantonness and chambering are, but at least I understood this. I knew what to be vulgar and indecent was, because honestly, that had been the sense of humor I'd had as a teenager. You know, that was what I found funny. So I was reading this and going, okay, these are not the ways of Jesus. These are the things I need to leave behind to live a righteous life and a wise life and a good life, and to please and honor and glorify God with what I do. And I wanted to say that today because I think often we do this with the Bible, is we're reading through just like a passage or a couple of verses, and we're not 100% sure what's going on, and we don't dig deeper. We don't study it. We don't look up the words. We don't check in another translation. We just go, okay, I finished what I wanted to do. Move on. And we don't hear from God for ourselves. We don't get the message God is wanting to speak to us for ourselves. I just want to let you know, on your phone, you can download an app called YouVersion. You can go to a website called Bible Gateway, and you can literally compare uh, any passage in 
hundreds or thousands of different translations of the Bible. I recommend to you, we often use the ESV on the screens. We're using that today. The CEV is great. The NLT, the NIV, the message. There's a whole bunch of different translations. But I'm saying that because don't get stuck up. If you're stuck with the scripture, you don't know what it means. Don't just stop there and zone out. Maybe look at it in another translation. Maybe go to a study Bible, ask a friend, but get to know what God is saying to you through his word. And it could be the same with this passage we're looking at today. Proverbs 3 verse 5 and 6 says, Acknowledge the Lord. It says, He'll make our paths straight. We can leave here and go, I have no idea what is going on with that. In the NLT, it translates uh, these two verses this way. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's exactly the same English translation. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Very different way of looking at it, eh? So let's start with trusting in the Lord with all your heart. Are you trusting in the Lord today? And not just in part, but with all of your heart. So I think it's easy for us to say we trust the Lord, you know? We're singing the songs, we're praying the prayers, we're chatting to people outside. If we don't want to get into a deeper conversation, it's easy to say, I'm good, trusting him, things are great my side. But are you really? It's easy to even trust God intellectually. You know, we know the right things. If you've been around church for a while, you've memorized some of the scriptures, you know what they say, you believe the right stuff, God's powerful, he's beautiful, he's strong, he loves me, he's kind, all of those things. But the reality of actively trusting him with our hearts when things get complicated and hard and don't make sense, when things are outside of our frame of reference, that's when the rubber hits the road. That's a very, very different way of trusting in God. To trust means to have firm belief in the reliability or the ability of someone or something. To trust is to put our confidence in something, to run to that thing for refuge and for safety and security. It's to put our hope in something. That's what trust is. God is calling us to trust him with all of our hearts and with all of our understandings or minds and with all of our actions or decisions. Trust just a little bit completely and entirely. And that means even when things are hard, even when things don't make sense, even when things are outside of our comfort zone or outside of our theology or outside of the way we understand life or outside of our will, even in those moments we're called to trust him with all of our heart, mind, and actions. And not just to trust him in part, but to trust him with everything because we know he is good and powerful and loves us and has our best intentions at heart. If you want to memorize a scripture, Romans 8 verse 28 is a doozy of a verse to learn. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And what strikes me about this every time I look at it is it's saying, what things uh, does he work out? He works everything together for our good. All things, not some things, all things. And not only is it sometimes he works them together for good, sometimes evil or bad or difficulty. No, he works all things always together for our good. That's a huge deal. I mean, in the last two weeks, I've had two conversations with people going through really hard things. And they've said, I don't understand this, but I know that God is sovereign over this situation, and I trust that he is working this together for the good. That's faith. That's trusting in God with all of your hearts. Now, I do want to say, link to this, You may never know why you've been through that situation. You may never know why this has happened. You might not get the answers you're looking for. 
This might always be like outside of your range of understanding. But at the same time, in the midst of the mystery that you are in, which doesn't make sense to you, you can know that whatever it is, God is working it together for good 100% of the time. And if I can take that a little bit deeper, that means that your biggest nightmare, the worst thing that you can imagine happening to you, the thing that keeps you up at night, the thing that scares you the most, the thing that actually if that happened to you, you'd go, I don't want to live, I, I don't want to carry on. Even if you had to face that, God would work that together for your good. So even in the deepest possible nightmare that you could face, God is able to work that together, to redeem it, to take that thing, to hammer that thing together and turn it into something beautiful and good in your life. That is an incredible bit of truth. That gives us courage to face the ups and downs of life and the troubles of life because we know that God rules and reigns over that thing and he can work it together for good. And you know why this is true? Because he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is all powerful. The fact that he is sovereign means he rules and reigns over everything. So everything is within his control. So even the things that are outside of our understanding and outside of our control are inside of his hands and he controls them and he can work them together for good. That is why even in, in the hardest possible things, we're able to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. The second part of this is do not lean on your own understanding. That's why we call out to our moms, our dads, our God, whoever it might be. Do not lean on your own understanding. What are some of the things you lean on? Lean on a wall, right? Maybe you're a little bit tired, want to take a bit of a break, you kind of lean into the wall. Maybe you lean on a table or a counter, put your elbows on it or something like that. When we lean on something, we're putting our weight on it, we're resting on it, we're trusting it to hold us up and to keep us, uh, I guess, from falling. We're putting our faith in that thing that we are leaning on. And when we lean, we do those two things. We trust and we rest. We trust and we rest. We trust it will hold us up and it will give us a bit of a break from, I don't know, leaning on our legs when we're feeling tired. And what this passage says to us is don't lean on other things, lean on God. God wants you to lean on him, to put your weight on him. When you are tired, to say, God, would you support me and hold me up? If today you're feeling like you need to be held up by God, I want you to know the scriptures promise he will hold you and keep you from falling. You can put your weight on him and trust him because he will never let you down or fail you. He will never break. He will never disappoint you. He will always hold you and support you. And we can rest in him knowing that we are safe. Now, I had this funny thought yesterday while I was preparing. I thought to myself, I wasn't raised that way. I wasn't raised being taught that was true. Now listen, my parents don't follow Jesus. They're incredible parents. I, I can't speak more highly of them. They've been so good to me. But they obviously didn't have this frame of reference, and they didn't raise me this way. But I also think for many Christian parents, they don't raise their kids thinking, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. I think we still, even as Christians, could be teaching our kids, our friends, uh, whoever it is, that we should trust in other things other than God. I thought for myself growing up in the home I grew up in, probably from what my folks said and what I saw, I was taught to trust in myself. You know, like you're the only person that will never let you down. You've got your back. You can do this. I was taught to trust in hard work. If you work hard, you will get somewhere in life. I was taught to trust in a reliable job. If you've got a good job, that it'll support you, it'll hold you up, it'll provide for you. I was taught to uh, trust in money. 
If you've got finances, invest them, save them, put them away. Because if you've got money, that will protect you from what could come at you in life. Now listen, the reality is your list might look different to mine. You might go, oh, Grant's messed up. But we all have our own lists of things that we were taught about. Or maybe even now, today, we're trusting them. But these lists that we think, if I lean on that thing, that thing will give me support, it'll hold me up, it'll give me rest. But the scriptures are telling us that only God can support us. Shell and I had uh, this weird experience probably a year and a half after we got married. Now, just as a disclaimer, there was no funny business going on, no hanky-panky. It was just a good night's sleep. But we went away with um, Shell's mom and her sister and her boyfriend at the time, now husband, and we went to the north coast. Uh, James had this really lovely family place there. And uh, I don't know, we had a wild night of brying and board games, and 9 p.m. we went to bed or whatever it was. And at about 3 in the morning, I woke up feeling so uncomfortable. And I rolled over to Shell, and she was awake too, and she was feeling so uncomfortable. It was so weird. I remember saying to her, I feel like I'm a banana. Like I was just so, my back was sore. It was so not great. So I got up, I went and I flipped on the light. Christo, take it easy over there. I went and switched on the light, and the bed had buckled in half. That's why I felt like a banana. My legs had literally been up like this. The bed was on the floor. Shell and I had gone to sleep that night. No funny business. We'd just gone straight to sleep. We had not done this to this bed. And we woke up at 3 a.m. Whenever the bed had broken, I don't know. And this bed that we'd put our trust in, we had faith that this bed would give us a good night's sleep, that it wouldn't fail us or break or let us down, that it wouldn't buckle and we would, I don't know, go banana-shaped in the middle of the night. We put our trust in this bed and we leant on this bed and this bed broke and it let us down. And I say that as a really silly illustration because the reality is I know this verse. I, I've probably known this verse for 15 years. You know, I'm preaching on it today. I've studied it. The reality is for me, leaving here today, I'm pretty sure that I'm still trusting in other things with part of my heart. Yes, I'm trusting in God in part, but I'm trusting in other things with the other part. Maybe myself or hard work or whatever that list is that I've learned from my family. And I'm leaning on other things for the support that I need and can only find in God. And whatever your list is, kind of like Shell and I in that bed in Belito, as we put our weight on things, our needs, our burdens, as we look to things for support and strength and comfort and rest and all of those things, they cannot support us in the way God can. They cannot promise us the support that only God can give us. You know, the reality is I will let myself down. I do. I probably let myself down every single day. Money will let me down. Shell will let me down and I will let her down. This church could let you down. Your friends, your family, your spouse could let you down. But God will never leave you or forsake you. God will be a sure support for you to lean on all the days of your life, no matter what you go through. Now listen, I want to make something clear before we get to the end of all of this. Proverbs 3 is not saying, kiss your brains away. Lean not on your own understanding. Christianity is not a thinking man's faith. That's not what it's saying here at all. I think actually that's such an unhelpful thing. I've seen so many Christians say that. A friend comes to them with a hard question. Maybe it's a question about evolution or about sexuality or about creation or whatever it is. And they go, ah, don't worry about that. Just have faith. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I know that's a well-intentioned thing to say, but it really doesn't help anyone ever. There are really good resources out there with really good answers to the hard questions of the Christian faith. You don't have to kiss your brain goodbye if you're a Christian. In fact, 
if God made us, then his ways are obviously the best ways, you know. There's deep truth and answers out there. This passage isn't saying don't think, but what it is saying is in the midst of mystery, when we don't understand what is going on, don't lean inward to your own ways of thinking. Trust that God has got you even when you have no idea what's going on. Trust that God will be your support and will work the situation you are in together for good even when it is completely out of your control and you might feel helpless. Now, we are limited, finite, and human. God is unlimited, infinite, and divine. God operates in a whole different sphere, or as the scriptures say, his ways are greater than our ways. I'm probably going to be bombarding you guys with baby and parent-related preaching illustrations for years to come. I'm so sorry. But probably Shell and I, with a baby girl on the way in three months, have been asking a lot of parents just questions about their experiences and stories and how to do things and what to buy and all of those things. What they didn't expect, what they didn't know they didn't know, all of those things. And this funny story came out from a couple who are good friends of ours recently. They said they took their baby to the doctor and they took the baby to get its injections. And they were sharing the story about how the baby didn't really enjoy that experience. And you can kind of imagine this. You know, they've taken such good care of this child. This child knows it's safe with mom and dad. Mom and dad love me. Mom and dad comfort me. They feed me. I cry. They come. They help me. They burp me. They do whatever I need. And now baby gets picked up, loving it, going somewhere with mom and dad, new outing, gets in the car, goes to this doctor's space, sees the sign outside, goes, ooh, this looks interesting. I haven't been here before. Goes inside, goes, hmm, this artificial light. I don't really like that. And meeting new people, seeing them as they go in, they go into this waiting room, go into the doctor's office. This doctor comes up to baby, and baby sees like that little mask over its face, thinks that's a little bit odd. Seems friendly nonetheless. Sees the syringe get pulled out. Thinks, I've never seen one of those before. I don't know what that does. Sharp metal object, no problem for me. And it gets pressed against the arm, and baby still is innocent as pie until this goes in. And all of a sudden, this cold metal is piercing through its skin, and there's the searing heat of this solution in the syringe going inside of its body. And baby starts to scream and cry and say, Why, mom and dad? I trusted you. Why are you doing this to me? Why would you bring me to this place? Why would you let this man stab me in the arm? Why are you doing this to me? And it makes so much sense. Mom and dad are sitting there on the side feeling so bad, knowing that what they are doing is good for baby. You know, they're making what they think is the responsible decision. They're taking the baby to get its injections and its shots. They want to make sure baby doesn't get sick. This could stop baby from even dying, worst case scenario, in the future. They're trying to take care of the child, but the baby doesn't understand that. I think so often we can kind of be like that baby. You know, we can't see the bigger picture. We can't see the future. We don't understand what's going on. We, in our limited understanding, are feeling the pain of whatever our needle into the arm, whatever our syringe and injection is, and we don't understand God's goodness. We don't understand that actually what we are going through might be unpleasant, it might be evil, it might be sinful, it might not even be something that he has brought into our lives, but we know that he works all things together for the good. And we can trust that our good, good Father is at work in that moment for our good, not for our evil. His ways are greater than our ways. I'm sure in those moments as we kind of cry out to him, why God, why would you bring me here? I trusted you. Why are you letting them do this? 
God empathizes with us. In fact, I know he does because God came down and lived on this earth for 33 years. He experienced human life. He experienced human reality. He went through the everyday realities that you and I face. He dealt with the things that you are dealing with now. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin, as it says in Hebrews 4. Jesus can empathize. He's compassionate. He understands what you are going through. And on the cross, Jesus went through the most painful, emotional, physical, spiritual, existential suffering that anyone has ever faced. And that terrible moment, which looked like defeat, it looked horrific, was something that God was able to work together for the good. The most evil, suffering, hard, tough moment, mankind killing God, was something that God could take in his hands and redeem and work with and transform for our good, that Jesus' death led to our life, that his suffering led to our salvation, that his sacrifice led to our forgiveness. God is in the business of taking tough things and turning them together for the good. So if you're in a moment of mystery or in a moment of leaning in your own understanding and saying, I don't get this, God speaks to us and he says, trust in me with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding, your limited human understanding because I am working this thing for your good. There's one last thing in Proverbs 3 that I want to pick up before we close. And it's our response to trusting God. Verse 6 in the ESV says, In all your ways acknowledge Him, remember? And He will make straight your paths. Whereas the NLT says, Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. To seek something is to search it out. It's to look for it, it's to discover it, it's to try and find it. That's what seeking is all about. And the Christian life is a life of seeking. It's a life of seeking God, it's a life of following Jesus, it's a life of living in God's will, it's a life of going where he's going, it's a life of trying to know what he is saying to us. It's a life of listening, it's a life of prayer, it's a life of spending time with God. But how often do we choose our own paths and lean on our own understanding and making decisions, and trust in our own way of processing rather than trusting on God and seeking Him out and seeing which path He would lead us on. How often do we not do that even with the big things? Maybe pray when we're in trouble, but we don't even pray when we've got big decisions to make. So as we look at this passage, I want to ask each of us, are you seeking God for 2020, the year ahead, the decade ahead? And even more than that, are you seeking his will for your life? And even more than that, because this is what Proverbs 3 says, are you seeking the Lord in all you do? In all your ways, acknowledge me. In everything you do, seek my will. The prayer and hearing from God and relying on his spirit and trusting in him is not a yearly thing. We do like a little audit at the end of the year, but it's a daily thing, trying to be with God and enjoy him. This is what trusting in the Lord with all your heart is. As we end this year, as we end 2019 and go into a new year and a new decade, we want to prepare for it well. We want to make good decisions now. We, we want to put those six things into place in our life. But really it all hinges on trusting in the Lord with all our heart. So even this morning, would you lean into him? Would you trust him? Would you respond to him? Would you bring the mystery you don't understand to him and ask him to work that thing together for the good? Would you stand with me?
Crystal, why don't you come up here? I'm really happy to share what you shared in the prayer meeting before. We're going to go out and worship, but we just had uh, two people share in our prayer meeting before the service, things that I think tie in really well with this and might be helpful for you where you are today. So, Christo, why don't you start us up? Uh, morning, guys. Yeah, um, just while we were praying, they spoke about um, the, the 10 years and walk of life and um, asked if there was anything, and, and something just came to mind. I just had a picture of the comrades, so I don't know how many active people there are here who runs and does any sports, so I won't ask for a show of hands, but that's fine, and it takes, it takes training, takes a lot of training, I did the comrades, you can ask my life group, I showed them my medal, so there's proof there, um, and that was in the year 2000, so it was, was a while back, but um, the only thing, as he was talking now the whole time, I'm going to elaborate a little bit if that's fine, um, I was just thinking as well, you know, sometimes when you run, and you're not focused, then you, you step in holes, you know, potholes, and you run on the pavement, and you get tripped up, and sometimes when you look up, you might be a distance from the main road where you're supposed to be running, you know, and sometimes you have a stone in your shoe that just presses you the whole time, and you must still run for hours. You need to stop and take that stone out, and sometimes you're cramping up, and you need to stop and stretch, and and all of these things, I, I think, was just, just what Grant said. You know, there's people on your way that's there to assist you as well. They, you find some people will give you water on the way and give you sustenance and a banana. Sorry to go there. but uh, So you can just... And, um, yeah, and, and the main picture I had, and, and this was... It's, it's a picture of something that I experienced. You know, um, at the stage, there's this bus coming through at the end, and it picks up everybody that's finished. They can't make it anymore. They gave up. They got in the bus and they're sitting there and this bus stopped next to me and I must have looked awful because, you know, it stopped next to me and I just had a look inside the bus and I was thinking of it. I was saying, yeah, I'm, I'm finished. I can't do this. And just the people's faces in the bus, that, that uh, disappointment on their faces of not being able to finish that race was was an encouragement to me to actually just say, I need to finish this. I started this, I need to finish this. And it's a race. Um, Christianity is a race that we need to run. We need to pace ourselves. It's a long it's a long thing. It's not easy. Sometimes sometimes it's downhill and it feels great. Other times there's uphills and there's stones and there's cramp. But we need to persevere. Um, Grant and I were at a um, 70th birthday of a really incredible lady yesterday. And I think just hearing the speeches that were made to her, I felt so challenged, um, not just for the decade ahead, but for the many decades ahead. Um, she's a lady who's just been incredibly faithful with what God's given her. She hasn't had a lot, but she's, um, yeah, she's never lacked, and she is just an incredible woman, and his son shared how um, he grew up with every morning walking down the stairs and she would be um, 
you know, in the lounge with her Bible open, with her notebook, with her books, just like praying and seeking God. And I think I felt so challenged about living like a faithful, consistent life, not just, you know, for next year, but for the many, many years to come and the ups and downs of life. Um, and also just with that, um, that those people who don't know Jesus, um, would see actually that God is so faithful during the good times and the bad times. So I just think for us, even now, just to respond to those pictures, the scripture, uh, whatever it is for you, maybe the Spirit has put something in your heart today that you want to respond to, but maybe it is like you're feeling tired from this long race and you want to give up, or maybe you have given up you know, and you need God to reinstate you in the race. Or maybe it is, what decisions am I going to make now that are going to shape the decades of my future, that are going to shape my family, going to shape my son or my son's son or whatever it might be? Maybe what are the areas that we need to trust God in that we haven't been? So let's just pray. Father, we, we look to you as the one that we can trust in even when we don't understand what we're going through. We look to you as the one who is good and who loves us and has shown us your incredible commitment to us on the cross, the one who has paid far more than we could ever pay for us, who values us so highly. And Lord, we do bring you our hurt and our confusion and our frustration and our anger even at you, Lord. We bring you the the things we don't understand. And we say, Lord, despite that, we want to trust in you. We want to lean on you. We ask you for your support and your strength. We ask you to bear the weight of our doubts and our, our needs. We bring that all to you, Lord God, and we ask you to make our way straight. Just ask you even now to meet us where we're at and to pour your love and grace into our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.